know, kind of been a little forgetful or just to, you know, bring us back on just where we are right here. We're finishing up this. One thing you, you want to know, remember, we're the ones somewhere along the line, we decided to, you know, break the books into chapters. But actually, if you look at the Hebrew deal, actually, you know, this was one letter. So we got to remember the ending of three, and it goes right into four, right? Everything's in total context. But I don't want to remember, how did he end up uh, chapter three? Uh, one thing I mentioned it before, but again, I'll mention it. And it really strikes me more and more even when I talk about it. But this was the last prophetic revelation of the Lord to his people until John the Baptist. Over a 400-year span where there wasn't anything. And if I brought it up before, if you look, that this was really a, a strong reproof. <clears throat> As it's interesting, the last time he has spoken to us, and we have his revelation, <laughs> isn't the book of Revelation. right? And if you notice in there when he spoke to the churches, it was reproof. But he always reproves and chastises them that he loves. And if you remember, we, when we finish up chapter, coming near then to chapter 3, right? Well, during chapter 3, he was saying, return unto me, and I will return unto you, right? God never leaves us. He's with us. He'll never forsake us. But we at times, because of our ignorance, you know, because of our flesh, because of our laziness sometimes, because of just disobedience, we start to leave him. But the main thing I want to talk about is he always serves him because he always knows those are his. So when you read his word, it will offend some, and it will actually chastise and draw to repentance and draw those that are his to return to him. It always does. Just as we see near the end of chapter 3, after he had got done laying, laying out, the main charges against them, you know, their coldness of heart toward him, their questioning of his love for him, right? The denial of their sinfulness and the way they had cast aside his ordinances and his judgments, you know, especially concerning his worship, you know, the sacrifices for the atonement of sin, right? That was a type of Christ to come. But, you know, we, we talked about that. Just imagine... They knew they were sinners. It's always been grace. But until the coming of Christ, he set up the sacrificial system, right? In, in order to, okay, you know, come before me, present your sacrifices, your offerings for sin, right? And I'll cleanse you, be forgiven. Remember, even the high priest had to, first of all, offer for himself. These people were even bringing the lame, the sick, and even some that they had taken by violence, and they thought, right, and they were offering that unto the Lord. So they're going through the motions of worship. And somehow they had dropped so far, they didn't see a problem with this. So the Lord had told them that there's no way you dare present that to your governor, you know, to a human person, you know. It was just amazing. He pointed it out, and time and again they said, what, where have we offended you? How have we despised your name? You know, what, why, won't, why are you turning your ear away from our prayers? Why won't you answer them? He, he told them plainly. 
but they would not see it, they would not accept reproof. We finished off last week talking about starting in 316, then they that feared the Lord spake off one to another. And if you recall, I talked about that, that's interesting, the word feared the Lord, held in reverential awe of God, right? And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. Again, same thing, them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name. And he gives that reassurance, you know, always to his remnant. You know, we always have wickedness among us, but to those that are his, he gives that reassurance, right? Just like, he, just like our Lord himself told us, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? We're told, read First Peter, it's such condemnation, saying, at times the people of God will suffer. We do, do go through sufferings. We go through temptations, but we can rest and trust in the Lord that there's a reason for it. He's in control, and he'll not put something upon us we cannot bear. But he, he always gives a reassurance to his people. But I wanted us to take a, a look at that really quick about that fear of the Lord. And you'll see that it's always been that way, and it still is today. When we talk about examining ourselves, one of the quickest way when we wonder about it, it's like the gospel we heard and we get presented to a lot is in a lot of ways throughout most of the, you know, professing church is, and most of the songs too, we sing about the grace of God, God loves us, right? God wants the best for us, everything's, everything's great, and that's true, the grace of God, but one way we should act on real, do we have a reverential awe of God? And one way we show that is in our lives, do we worship him by the way we live? Do we live righteously? And when we worship him, when we offer up those sacrifices of praise, giving praise to his name with the fruit of our lips, are we sincere? God knows. But I want us to look at that a little bit, with that, that fear of God. First of all, go back to Malachi 3, and you'll see... Uh, really quick about for the 316. Oh, yeah, I just mentioned that one. They that feared the Lord. I'm sorry, I got lost of my mind on that. But first of all, go to, we'll just look through a few on here and believe me. I, I encourage you, get a concordance and look this up. But we're just, I'll give you a little snippet, a small percentage of how that's throughout Scripture that his servants fear him. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Go to Psalm 19. It's, I, I just really love this one, right? After he's talking about the word of God and the word of God, what does he come into in verse 9 of Psalm 19? The fear of the Lord is clean, right? Undefiled. It's in, it endures forever, 
right? We're going to look at that. That Psalms has a lot to say about that. Go on to Psalms 25. Psalms 25, <clears throat> the secret of verse 14. Sorry, Psalm 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Go on to Psalm 34. You know, when I was reading all these, and I said, this is a snippet. I think the, I think the Lord trying to make a, is wanting us to see something here. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that what? Fear him. Fear him and delivers them. On to Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Let's go on to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, verse 9. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Whew. Psalm 86. Just a few verses over there. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. Go on to Psalm 103. I just want to see and, you know, hopefully let, let the, you know, word of the Lord, right? We talk about it all the time, but, right, the word of the Lord is how God speaks to us. And the word of the Lord is what edifies us and chastises us and cleanses us and builds us up. Amen. So, what does Psalm 103, verse 11 say? For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Verse 13, same chapter. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. <clears throat> verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. If we fear the Lord, and you'll see this, if we fear the Lord, one way it shows is that how could I put it? We're not perfect, but <laughs> to phrase an old book, right? We do is that we we try to do our utmost for His highest, right? We 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 endeavor to try to keep His commandments, you know, to walk in righteousness and holiness before Him, and and if we don't fear Him, then we're not going to try that. We're we're not, you know, that doesn't really mean anything to us. <clears throat> But uh, go to Psalm 111. Psalm 111, verse 10. And this is a very familiar verse to us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. Then just now, right, he puts it in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the beginning of wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. And a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. See how the, the, the two are linked there? Uh, let's go back to, back, uh, back a little bit to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Oop, let me get in the right place here. Deuteronomy 13, verse 4. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. You know, they, they always, uh, you know, those are put together so much. But now you might ask yourself, well, it, the reason I bring this about is, yes, works, salvation, is heresy. We're not saved by our works. But because we are saved, we are to do good works. And one of the most important good works we do throughout Scripture is following His commandments. He tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Now, perfect love cast out fear, but that's the way, but not that reverence and that awe. That reverence and awe has always been there. Remember, it's always been by grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God, but when God gave him the commandment to build the ark, he moved with fear. I mean, you know, just, you know, trembling? Well, if you're a wicked sinner, you're living in sin and an unrepentant sin. Oh, he's talking about this reverential awe. They understand God is in control. They understand that God is holy. God is righteous. That's why in Malachi, the people that feared the Lord and thought upon his name, they were the ones that were convicted. They were the ones that loved God. They were the ones that loved holiness and righteousness, you know, and walked, and walked after him. Right? But it's one way we can examine ourselves because we grow up so much and we hear so much about the grace of God. But what you don't hear is the fear of God. And when you think about what does it always start out with? The gospel presentation, even in Romans, starts out with the bad news. We're sinners. But, but the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God right, is righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He died for our sins. Right? He fulfilled the sacrificial system that was a type of him to come. But even when they were fulfilling the sacrificial system, right, they had to keep on doing it because the Messiah hadn't come. But they were still expected and commanded to walk in righteousness and holiness. Go ahead, Dean.
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. There's the biggest thing. Well, one second, you know that that imbalance, that imbalance. Like you know, the other thing where where are the the songs that you know? For instance, Psalms is such a good example. The balance, right? The mercy of God, the grace of God, thankfulness towards God, but also right the fear of God, the majesty of God, the holiness of God, the honor of God. You know, and that, that's what's missing, you know, just, that's why, like, one of my favorite songs is Holy, 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 right? It's, it, it's so perfect, right? It honors God. It lifts up the name and attri- and the holy attribute, the awesome power of God. Yeah, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah. And we and we stress that all the time. I mean, you know, it's not that we talk about every sermon on that, but we, we've we've had many, you know, Bible studies and even sermons about it. But that that balance, there's that balance. Just like yes, it's the grace of God. You look at Acts chapter two, right? The Word of God, the fellowshipping of the saints, communion right? Worshiping him, right? But when you do those things, and, and there's so much, a sermon can be given on a long, ser- many sermons on each aspect of those four things. But those are the four graces God uses to build us up, right? But there, there, there's, there's aspects of them, but it's, it's so important to remember that, yes, he saved us, it's not by our works, but he's given us a response, you know, responsibility, for instance, right? Find a good local church, for instance. You have to purpose yourself to fellowship. You have to purpose yourself to praise him. You have to purpose yourself to read his word, you know, to prayer. You, you know, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. If we want to grow and keep growing up and experience more and more of that actual peace and joy of the Lord, because it just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, it, it say one other thing about that. It's so disobedient. And, and, and also, just imagine this, you know, and, that, and there's where the misuse of gifts are. When I talk about gifts, it's whether you have the Lord has given you a gift or gifts of uh, it, teaching, 
mercy, whether it's gifts, talents, whatever. What's the sole purpose? Scripture is very clear about that. So when the saints gather together, they share the various gifts the Holy Spirit has given them. They build one another up. They comfort one another up. They strengthen one another. So if you're missing church, then you are not using the gift God gave you for the sole purpose of helping to build up fellow saints. It's not to, you know, attract unbelievers, by the way, or, yeah, or cause gold dust to fall from the ceilings or anything like that, right? It's for the edification of the saints, for the comfort of the saints, right? For the building up of the saints. That's the sole purpose of the various gifts. And to bring glory to God because of it. And much thanksgivings, by the way, on top of everything else. But I want to say, has this changed? Has this changed? Not the, you know, Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has paid, right? It is finished. He's rose from the dead. He's coming back one day. He's, give, he's poured out his spirit upon his people, upon the church. So is that, right, worship God? Is that grace of God? Is that commandment? And instruction throughout the Old Testament still in the New. Well, let us look. First, uh, guess, again, I said you could go to a lot of places, but uh, go to Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> well, let's say one other thing about that. So then go to Hebrews 5. It's funny, I think it was me and Mike was talking about this just a little while ago, but at these Hebrews were admonished right at the start of Hebrews because they had been under good teaching for quite a while. And they were told in Hebrews 5, the time has come that you ought to be teachers, but now you need once again to be taught all the elementary things of Christ. So these, these people were not progressing in their, you know, in their knowledge of God. They were not progressing in the scriptures like they should have been. And Paul rebuked him for it. But uh, let's see, one of the things about them being not growing in knowledge and not understanding, obviously the knowledge of God and who Christ is, right? The priesthood, his priesthood, and there's so many, so many things. But Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> he comes in and he's talking about, well, let's read this because... You must understand, first he says about, you know, okay, in the Old Testament, right? And that was awesome, but God appeared before them in Mount Horeb, and literally in the fire, right, he spoke to them. And I'll end up with verse 21. After describing that sight, it says in verse 21 of chapter 12, And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Remember, Moses' servant, God's servant, Moses, he feared and quaked himself because it was, I mean, it was so awesome. It, it was so, I mean, imagine it had to be something. But, you know, though we're taken back by that, hmm, it goes on to say in verse 22, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God. In other words, things have changed. You think that was something. But you were coming to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So spiritually speaking, this is the truth. You know, this is one reason I know, I know that God hears me when I pray. He hears my praises unto him. He hears that. Because right here it tells me, in a sense, spiritually speaking, right, when we go into his presence, right, we are. It doesn't say you are going to be. You're coming under the city. You're coming before him, right? We're all part of the church of the firstborn. We're all part of the general assembly. <laughs> We're in Jesus Jot down to verse 26. Whose voice, speaking of God, right, then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, things that he created, right? That those things which cannot be shaken may remain, the spiritual. Wherefore, because of all this, because we are the general assembly, because we're in Christ, because our sins have been forgiven, we're now children of God, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. See, it is reverence, yes, but also a godly fear. And what does that godly fear mean? It'll become more and more and more understanding to us the more and more and mo the longer and longer we walk with him and grow in the knowledge of God. Now there's trembling, but it's this allness of him. It's this understanding that he has the power to chastise us, right? He, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, that he is in absolute control. You know, just like a little child, best example you hear of these, but as, as our little children are growing up, and I never experienced this, you know, but, and you'd have this loving father. But that discipline that bought them up, showed them love and that. But they reverenced their father. They reverenced their father. They, they won't be disobedient. Other they're perfect, right? When they're disobedient or they get caught, even when they don't get some like discipline in that, but they had that fear of being caught because part of it was just because I've done something I know dad doesn't want me to do. Right? Or... I respect him greatly. I love him, right? And he, you know, he's my whole world. And I disappoint him. You know, it's just, I know that's a human example and it's the way, but it's the way I kind of, a part of the way to understand, a little way to understand that, I think. You know, I mean, we won't fully know ourselves until we're fully known, until we see him face to face. You know, we're finet. Whatever it ends up, there's that reverence, but just that godly fear. We do it because of his holiness, because of who he is and what he's capable of and what he has done in the past and what he's going to do in the future, what he's doing in the present, right? And verse 29, and we're going to see how this is, goes right together at the start of verse 4 <laughs> in Malachi. For our God is a consuming fire. He always talks about serving him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He is a God of grace and mercy and loving understanding. But in the end, everyone will have to answer before him. And his judgment is the consuming fire. Right? It burns the dross 
from his people, his chosen people, his adopted people, those he set his love on. It refines them. But the wicked and the unbelieving and the ungodly, it burns them up, leaving neither root nor branch. And that, and that, and that will come. But let's go on to 1 Peter and see, well, okay, you know, that's a, you know, some people always want to talk when they, you'll know, find some teachings out there to focus. Well, okay, but that was speaking to the Hebrews, that was speaking to the Jews, that was, you know, we're, we're the Gentiles, you know, maybe that's all different. Well, 1 Peter wasn't, was written mostly to Gentiles, right? I mean, we're all one in Christ, but in, in a way we don't understand, right? Right? The unbelieving Jews are broken off, so we would be broke, so we would be grafted in, right? And on the day of his return leading up to and that, a large portion of the Jews will come in because the will for him was pierced, but they're, they're going to be redeemed. It, it, it's so evident in that. But anyway, so to the Jews and to the Gentiles, but First Peter to the Gentiles, so we can all say to me, because as far as I know, I don't have any Jewish blood. But uh, in, Re in First Peter 1, verse 17, <clears throat> Well, here we'll go. They're all tied together, right? Verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, in all aspects of your life. Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And go to Leviticus 11.44 and so on. But verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here, in what? Anyone? Fear. That's interesting. I mean, he's writing it to the brethren. He started out the letter, right? To the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. I mean, right? We know this. We talk about it all the time. He was writing this to though the born again, to the born again, to the brethren, right? So we are to pass a time of our sojourning here while we're on here waiting for his return or he'll take us to be with himself before then in fear. Fear against that reverential. And you look and there's two different words. 53 in the concordance, look it up, 5399 and 5401 in the Greek concordance. But the one will just take fear, reverential awe, and the other one is like exceedingly so. Exceedingly so, like, have much reverence, much awe for God. And I think that grows as, Lord willing, we're growing in him. And he's humbling us. And <clears throat> But also uh, go on to 1 Peter chapter 2. And huh, also verse 17. <laughs> I'll read verse 16 along with it as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. In other words, they just bring that one up there. We have those in the church, and I'm not calling their salvation in question, but I think they bought into some bad, some I think some bad teaching and some ignorance of, of some, some passages, and they use their liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. They'd rather harm, they'd rather bring harm on other saints in order to exert their own pride and arrogance. And that's wrong, right? Because verse 17, honor all men, 
love the brotherhood. Oh, what's that third one there? Fear God. Honor the king. <laughs> you know, 18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear. Does that mean you're supposed to, is he saying you should be fearful of your masters? You should be exceedingly fearful of them? No, it's the same thing. With all fear, fear towards me, right? Because it's the Lord Christ whom we serve. Uh, go on to chapter 3. Now, I'll read one with, right? Because he's talking, Likewise, ye wives, being subjected in your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Yes, there's another example where he talks about all our conversation, all our life, right? Serve God, honor him, fear him, you know, bring him glory. Remember that he sees everything, knows everything, and the commandment to live righteously still applies to us. Verse 2, while they behold your chaste conversation, right, your chaste lifestyle, your godly lifestyle, coupled with fear. Hmm. Seems like we're supposed to do the same thing the Hebrews were commanded to do in the Old Testament, doesn't it? Chap uh, again, just going to verse 15. <clears throat> Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I was just thinking back in, and last but not least, it's interesting, we're, we're let off, the last words of our Lord are accompanied with, he just gives us a few more words, which we're, we'll have to look into that next week. Into, into most of it, but remember he tells us about, hey, still fear me. Those that fear me, those that fear me, he tells us about that at the, end, at the end of Malachi. But he also is mentioned in the, last, in the last book in the New Testament, the very last words he's ever given us. But go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Verse 18, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them that destroy the earth. Them that fear thy name. All is a special place. God always Right, just as we read, we read several of those passages that talks about it. It specifically mentioned that he shows mercy and pity unto them that fear his name. Revelation chapter 14, <clears throat> verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And, you know, lastly, for me, it's not the, like, you know, <laughs> last one of the Old right? As I said, this is a sampling of it. But uh, 
Well, here, we'll got, got, to, got, to, got to read verse 4 along with that again. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, small and great. Paul's always there, always there for his people, right? For everyone, everywhere, right? He tells it to all his people, those that he's drawn to himself, right? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, right? It goes out to all. It's, it's very clear what the Lord expects, what the Lord expects. But one way we can examine ourselves, it, it's so important, do we fear him? Right? Do we fear him and do we love him? Because we, they, they go hand in hand, right? He says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. It, a sign of fearing him, if you fear him, you keep his commandments. So if we're not keeping his commandments, it says, and I'm not saying we're not going to be perfect, right? But none of the Old Testament saints were perfect in their respect of they never, ever sinned, right? The Holy Spirit is clear about teaching us that too in Romans. There's none righteous. That includes Noah. You know, that includes David. Well, we know David. Remember, he was a man after God's own heart and looked how greatly he sinned. But God still forgave him. God still built him up. God still used him. God still kept his promises to him. You know, the day's coming, you know, the promise is that. Jesus, the coming, the eternal king, will sit on David's throne. What he means, the throne. Right? And he'll rule. He'll rule from that throne. But, you know, he still loves his people. His people still have a heart after him. You know, if we do fall, it's like, I like to like, keep on keeping on, right? You got to struggle against the sin, keep on fighting it, Right? And repent, and, you know, just repent. It means turn away from. Get yourself, God points something out to you, you're struggling with something. Just, you know, pray to him, count in his glory, and, and stay in, I would say, good graces. Follow those four graces we, I mentioned earlier in Acts chapter 2. But I know we're running short on time, but if you just turn back to Malachi chapter 4, and uh, look at any further, does anyone have any, uh, you know, comments or questions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that one time, uh, how do you put it, Mike? Uh, Dr. Love, 
and Dr. And what? Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, yeah. You, you get too you know, it's not all, you know, I mean, the law, but it's interesting. You ever heard that? I'm sure you've heard it, but if, you, if you're acquainted any with the criminal law system, you know, the spirit of law. Have you ever heard that phrase before, right? And there is a reason, you know, behind everything, you know, there's a, there's a spirit of the law, but when it comes down to when, uh, when God said, you know, keep my commandments, guess what he meant it? It's kind of simple. Yeah, live righteously, right? Follow the commandments, follow the statutes. But I just want to hear something else in chapter 4, and we'll, we'll kind of leave out with this, but I want everyone to be thinking of this for next week. Remember in chapter 4, he was just telling the people that feared him, that spake with him, his people that were in there, right? He told them, right? He, he remembers them. He remembers their thoughts. If you remember, we talked about that last week. And he, he comforts them. He gives them encouragement, and he comforts them and reminds and, again, promises them, I remember, I'm going to keep you. You're, gonna, you're mine. You're my jewels. In verse 18, then shall you return, and he's talking to the wicked that are questioning, well, where is the God of judgment? You know, you're setting up the evildoers. They're doing just fine. Well, you'll, after, when he does this, right, when you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between that serveth God and him that serveth him not, the day will come where even the unbelievers, they'll know. God already knows, but they'll know those that are actually God's and those that are not. Chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Verse 2, but unto you that fear my name, right, that, that's what the wicked, the ungodly, the unbelieving, that's what that day of judgment is going to be for them. But for those that are his, verse 2, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with the healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. In other words, imagine when calves are, are caught into that. Once you let them out, they go hopping around. They're all full of joy and everything. But that's what we're rejoicing. When we're, when we're new people, imagine when there's no more sin, there's no more sorrow. We're, you know, we're, we're with God. We see him face to face. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're have, we have taste of it here and there now. But it'll be full on. <laughs> when that day comes. But I want you to think about something along with what I said about fearing him and about, you know, the, the day coming. It's always interesting, you know, as God, the first thing he does, he always points out sin. Then he points toward his deliverance. And I talked about it the first time I brought it up. Here today, the gospel has been watered down to just the one part, grace. Love of God and basically, sometimes it's low as, hey, God loves you and has a plan, good plan for you. I'll tell you, not if, you don't, not if you're not his. Not if you're doing wickedly and you're unbelieving. He doesn't hear, you don't have a good future at all. But if you notice, it's always been that way. Well, to think on this when you read about it. You notice he tells us in Acts 4 at the end of the second sermon, what, what did he send his son for? To turn us all from our iniquity. It specifically says that. 
We're not to sin. Once we're saved, we're not to sin. You know, read that in Peter, right? Be ye holy as I am holy. But, you know, we talk about it before. Well, you got to preach the bad news and then preach the good news. But if you notice, right, he sent John the Baptist first. This has been the, been the example of the gospel and of God's saving message, right? He sent John the Baptist forerunner, right? Preaching what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And what were people doing? They were being baptized by John, confessing their sins. And he was saying, do works worthy. You know, so it was always, right, sin. They were confessing. They were being known their sin. You know, just like how he ends up, when you think of Malachi, if you read it in 4, when he ends up about turning the the hearts of the fathers back to the children, it just means turning the hearts of the rebellious, unbelieving, back to the ones that he mentioned earlier in the book. Levi, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, and the like. Right? He'll turn, he'll turn the ungodly back to godly. They're saying, repent of your sin. Judgment is coming. You'll one day have to stand before me and answer. So it's finished in Christ, or you can stand alone. But also when he says, right, fear me, right, we just think of him, fear him, right, we understand we're saved through Christ and only through Christ. But, right, he still says, right, follow me. Just like in the Old Testament, there's always grace, but there was a sacrificial system set up. Now Christ has answered the sacrifice. But in between those sacrifices, what were they expected to do? Live holy. <laughs> Same thing for us. With that, uh, let us close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your free gift of salvation through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We understand it is finished. Those of us that you've opened our eyes, you softened our hearts, you filled with your Spirit, Lord, that you bless so mightily. We thank you. Lord, we pray for the building up of all your people. We pray for any sheep that are still lost, Lord, that they'd soon be bought into the fold, Lord. Lord, we ask your blessing today on the rest of the service, Lord. And Lord, pray be with us and give us wisdom and discernment. And by your grace and by your power, may we serve you acceptably with reverence and godly fear to bring glory unto your most holy, mighty name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.